I'm Hannah McNeil. I'm an artist. I'm a singer-songwriter from Nashville, Tennessee, and I like to write songs that inspire people. I like to write songs that uh, talk about people overcoming. And I thought it'd be neat to have some real stories from real people to tell their stories. This is Earl Hensel, and this is his story. Even the doctors at Vanderbilt said I was a miracle after they saw my whole record of things that have happened to me, so. And they don't even know the things that haven't happened, right? No, that's right. They haven't. No. no, I've had a lot of, a lot of experiences, a lot of near-death experiences, and a lot of um, uh, medical experiences, you might say. So I'll just start at the start. Yeah. I was born in Cleveland, March 31st, 1941, University Hospital. The problem was... I was a breech birth, and my head was caved in. Oh. In those days, that was a serious thing. Now, I want you to know, his head was caved in. However, he's been an executive, a GM. <laughs> he start, helped start Saturn, so it didn't have an impact on him. It, well, now, a long effect. Go ahead. Not, not all the effect, no. <laughs> but they had to take instruments, and pu- I have a scar on the side of my head. You know, they pulled my head out. So, so I didn't even know that was going on, of course. You know, I was just a kid then. Yeah. But... I had a lot of uh, a lot of things happen. Uh, the thing I had a lot of near-death experiences. Almost drowned. Almost got electrocuted, and all these different things. That that would be a program in itself. Yeah. It really would. Yeah. So what I'll do is kind of cover the the medical stuff, yeah. you know, a little bit. Because, yeah. like I was telling you a little while back, that uh, one of the big impacts on my life was when I was 13 and I had rheumatic fever. For people who don't know, tell us a little bit about what rheumatic fever is. Yeah, rheumatic fever is, it, it affects your heart, and, it, and it, it's a fever. You do have a fever, but what it does, it causes all your joints to swell up, and you get paralyzed is what happens. You can die. You can die. So I was out. I took a, a, a fella hunting with me, and when we were out hunting, uh, we ended up with a sleet, storm and it was snowing and a sleet storm and it, everything froze our clothes were froze i mean we were like a half mile out in the field so by the time i got back home i uh i just went to bed i i just i didn't feel good at all and i had a sore throat that's the first sign of a yeah. rheumatic fever and they'll tell you that today yeah. if you have a real sore throat sometimes that happens but you, you knew just something wasn't <clears throat> i didn't i didn't didn't, didn't think it was serious right so I was just wiped out from hunting, I mean, did from you, freezing. Did you have any luck? I don't. <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> I don't. I could have. I don't know. Let's just but yes. yeah, I don't know if I did or not. But so I went to bed, and the next morning I I couldn't move. I was just paralyzed. I couldn't move, and I was pretty good sized then. I was 13 years old. It's 1954. So I called down. And my my dad said, "Hey, Earl, where?" When the hell are you going to get downstairs here and eat, eat breakfast, you know? I said, I can't move. I cannot move my arms. I can't move my legs. So my dad was a pretty big, he was a lot bigger than I am. I mean, his arms were like that big around. I never messed with, if he told me to do something, I did it, you know? So, so he came up and I said, believe me, I cannot move. I can't, I can't move. And so he picked me up bodily like a kid, you know, and he carried me downstairs put me in the car, and took me to the hospital, and that's where I stayed for quite a while. So they had to feed me and everything, because I couldn't even even bend my arm to feed myself, you know. Did they know what was 
wrong at this juncture? Did you have a diagnosis or they still didn't know what was going uh, on? Fairly quick, they, they, they felt that it was because of my joints swelling up. That's an indication that it's rheumatic fever. So in my mind, uh, in those days, uh, it was common uh, with polio, by the way, to put polio uh, uh, kids in an iron lung. It was a big metal tube, and all you could see is the kid's head sticking out. And it was uh, pressurized, you know, so it helped them breathe. And I said, my God, I just I prayed that I wouldn't go into a, 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 an iron, uh, iron lung because that was... That would be horrible. I, you'd get claustrophobia in the damn thing. <laughs> I mean, be in there. Did a lot of these it? kids were in there for years, you know. Yeah. So I did a lot of praying. I did a lot of praying my whole life. I mean, I mean that's something that I do a lot of. So, so that was that was kind of a, a big deal for me in my lifetime. You well, know. How did it turn out? Like what? So tell me. Like so you were. Well, like so you were in the so yeah, I was in the hospital for several weeks, and then. They were giving me penicillin shots. Uh, in fact, I got penicillin shots in my butt every month for until I was 21 years old, and it was it was paid for by the state of Ohio, and also the state of Ohio. Well, we lived near Akron, Ohio, and the state of Ohio also paid for a tutor to come in. This woman came in because I I missed school altogether. I all I could do is sit in the yard in a chair for a whole year. They were afraid that I was going to have a heart attack because it affects your heart, you know, so. So then, like I told you before, I, I, I asked the doctor who was treating me, I said, what, how long do people live with this? You know, I mean, I know it was serious because I couldn't move, you know. And he said, well, you're 40, 45 years old. You, you make it by 40, 45 years old. Well, here I'm going to be 77 here in a couple of months, you know, so I, I, I beat his rating, you know. That was only one of the first times that you beat a doctor. Yeah. So then another uh, big situation before we even get into the cancer part, you know, was uh, I had a big garden and I I worked the garden and uh, I had like 100 tomato plants. I I supplied tomatoes and vegetables for the whole neighborhood. I had a big rototiller. I loved gardening up there. I I had a really great garden. So all of a sudden I was getting a lot of pain in my side, you know. And I never thought much about it. And in fact, I went to work and uh, had this. Oh, by then I had already started the plant. Yeah, I started at uh, General Motors the day before I graduated high school, June first of '59. So I started as a clerk in the engineering department, and that was quite a quite a long career. I was I went to, and they sent me to college. They sent me to General Motors Institute in Flint, Michigan. For an engineering degree, so I, I did. GM did really well for me. I'll, I'll say that. You did quite well for GM too, I might. Yeah, I, I did the best I could. So then uh, that day I was at work. I went to work, and this was like a couple days now. I was getting this pain, so I went to Dr. Demeter at the plant. Every plant has a doctor, yeah. you know. So I went to Dr. Demeter, and he said, "You get your butt out of here. Go to Akron Hospital right now. Don't don't." Don't even go back to your desk or anything. Go, go to the hospital, which I'm, I'm glad he did because by the time I got to the hospital, my uh, appendix had broken. And when it breaks, you know, all that gore goes all the way into your system, you know. Yeah. He sent me directly to the hospital, yeah. and they said if you wouldn't have been here another few hours, we wouldn't have been able to get all this stuff out of your system. Septic and 
But they hauled me right away. As soon as I got in there, they, they knew what it was, and they hauled me to the emergency, you know. And I was on a gurney right away. Wow. I was heading into the, the oh. big lights, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Literally so, and figuratively. So they cut me open and then vacuumed me out, and then they stapled me up. And I went to work the next day, see. <laughs> so the plant manager, plant manager came out and he says, Earl, what the hell are you doing here? You know, didn't you have uh, appendicitis? I said, yeah, that was yesterday. I went to the hospital. <laughs> that was so yesterday. But he said, you don't need to be here. You know, you go home. I said, well, I could sit at home as well as I can here. I could sit here as well as at home. So I showed him my staples, you know, and all that. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, uh, I, I never let that stuff bother me much, you know. How? Like, how do you recover from that? How do you, because like, a lot of people have some pretty bad stuff happen in their life, and they, they seem to... It sticks on. They hold on to it. How do you let go? How do you just be like, you know what, move on? It's, yeah. Well, I was always, being, a, being on a farm, I think, helped me a lot. Because if we had something to do or a problem, we just take care of it. You know, you just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, the barn door blew off one day, you know, in a big storm. This is another story, <laughs> another long story. But so my dad ordered a, a barn door. They called the insurance, two big barn doors, big sliding barn doors on the side of the barn, you know. So he uh, ordered the, the uh, he got a hold of the insurance, and they brought the two doors out. And, and one day, they were laying there, of course. We hadn't hung them up. And my dad said, when you, before you and Ronnie go fishing this morning, I was on my summer break, mm-hmm. he says, I want you to uh, cut those doors to size and hang them. We should have never said cut them to size because because we we got our yo-yo up there and we measured the doors and everything. <laughs> like we any, were like any good word worker. Yeah, do. yeah. Well, we were about a foot off, so we <laughs> cut about a foot too much <laughs> off the bottom of the doors. Met that one over pretty well. So I was up on the ladder because we I had to put the rollers up, and my buddy Ronnie Longfellow was down at the bottom. I said, "Keep picking the door up, Ronnie, because I got to get the rollers up on the on the rail." He says, you mean, you mean you have to go up further? It's, still, it's already way over a foot off the ground. I said, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. We cut, and, and all I heard, all I thought about was my dad coming back from work that night and seeing those doors. And those doors are like that to this day. <laughs> and then my son, you know, he, he went up there and, to see his buddy, and he yeah. took a picture of the barn, yeah. and, he, and I've got it by my desk. And, it, and it, he's got a little thing on the bottom that says, measure twice, cut <laughs> once. Yeah, so... But anyway, we always took care of problems. I mean, if you have something wrong, you just take care of it. You know, you don't worry about it. You just take care of it. And that's the way I always felt all my life, you know, about things. So part of that is, is like focusing on the solution, right? Not, not, not yeah. like, oh, the problem, the problem. Instead, it's like, all right, we got a problem. Let's fix it. Versus, yeah. fi- versus all right, we got a problem. <gasps> we got a problem. <gasps> you know what I mean? Instead, well, it's just like, that quick action kind of. Yeah, well, that's like uh, when we get to the leukemia part, you know, in 1998, uh, in the job I had, at the, it was an executive job at the plant, and we were to have a physical every year, which that's another thing that saved my butt, having a physical every year, because I, I normally wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't normally do that, you know, have a physical every year. So I went in, had a physical in Akron, or in uh, Nashville here, in uh, Baptist Hospital, and then the doctor came out with the results, and he says, uh, he says, uh, I really don't want to give you the results. I think, I think I'm going to call your family doctor 
and he needs to get you and your wife together. So I figured, well, that's important. Something's going on here, you know. So when he told it, we sat down with him, and he said, I've got to tell you something. He started crying. His, his, he had tears in his eyes. He really did. He says, uh, you have a, leukemia, a type of leukemia. It's called chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And uh, so he says, I'm going to have to set you up with an oncologist. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, who, who would you uh, suggest? And he he set me up with uh, Dr. Murphy, who is my buddy over here. So we went to Dr. Murphy, and uh, you know, once all this happened, we went to Dr. Murphy, and he he did some more blood tests on me, and he says, uh, you know, you're even even uh, from your your hospital visit, your last hospital visit, your white count went way up. So he waited a couple weeks. But he says, you know, we, we've got to do something pretty quick because it's already up to 77,000 and it's supposed to, your white count's supposed to be four to 10,000 units, whatever they are. <clears throat> so he says, we're going to schedule you for some uh, two types of uh, chemo. So that was fine. I said, you know, let me know when, you know, let's do it. Let's do <laughs> it. Do it right now if you want to, you know what I mean? Here. <laughs> so I was over there. Edna was in the lobby when I was getting my chemo. And I was joking with all these people, and, and I was all hooked up to this chemo, you know. And uh, it wasn't a joke after a, about a day or so afterwards, you know. Then you start really feeling it. Yeah. So. When you say really feeling it, what was happening? Well, you just feel, you just feel like you're not even alive. I mean, you just feel uh, tired. Uh, you get a little sick sometimes, you know, after so many treatments. Yeah. And, uh, but did it like just take your all your motivation? Take all you wanted to do was just sleep a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I found this out, the first thing I I did, you know, I had been in the General Motors stock program for ten percent of my wages ever since I was when I started back in '59, day before I graduated high school. I started there, yeah. and they had the stock program where you just take they just take ten percent of your wages out, put it in stock. So all I had was all that GM stock for all those years. It was like 40 years when I retired. It was 40 years. So I, I somehow I got a hold of this uh, fellow from our finance department. So uh, and then this next thing I did, I, I asked them. They had they knew a lot of attorneys. So I said we need a goodwill because I didn't know if I had a year to live or two years to live. So they set me up with a real good attorney in uh, Nashville. So he made this thick, I mean, I had a, like a two-page will by this guy at the plant up in Cleveland, <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't worth a dime. It wasn't worth the paper it was written on, probably. So this fellow did a real good job. You know, we divided everything between the kids and all that kind of stuff. So we had the will done. We had our finances being looked at now, you know. And <clears throat> so, like Don said, don't. We've got to get rid of some of this GM stock. You can't have all GM stock. It's not good. So, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, Yeah, right? thank God he said that because, you know, yeah. GM went to kaput. Yeah. You know, the stock went down. So anyway, so so that's our nest egg right now is what he sold. You know, that's, we still have that. So so then we, we felt a lot more comfortable 
you know, with the fact that we have our finances being handled, yes. we've got our will made out now for the kids in, in Edna. So, and you don't, you don't think about dying really. You don't really think a lot about dying. You think about what do, what do, you, what do you do, you know, in a case like this? What's so you're the, saying when you were diagnosed, you're, you're saying from where you were, so you got this horrible news. Yeah. Some of the first things, you went to see the doctor, and then the, right after that, you said, let's get our finances in order. And let's get yeah, take care of business, right? Yeah. But yep. you didn't really think about dying. You no, I never about, thought about dying much. You thought about living. Yeah, I thought about living a lot. Yeah. Well, then uh, we hadn't taken many vacations at the time. So then we started thinking about, let's, let's start taking some vacations while we're still doing some good here. Even we're still getting around. Yeah. In, in Edna. Yeah. yeah. So Edna and I went to... Uh, Alaska, we went to the Galapagos Islands, we went to the Baja to look at whales, we went to the Lewis and Clark expedition up the Columbia River and some of those kind of things. So, and uh, of course the kids were pretty good sized by then, you know, they were in, either in high school or married or whatever. Yeah. So we just went by ourselves. So. That'd be funny. How, do you, how do you have the mind frame that says I'm going to tackle this versus let it tackle me? Because a lot of people let it tackle them. Like as opposed, you know, I mean, you get this bad news and you're like, oh, you know. That's right, just, yeah. It's easy to do that. I mean, that's, it's highly devastating. How did you not, how did you be like, all right, what do we do next? How did you keep that mind? Well, like I said, I think, I think part of it was my farm life. Part of it was my plant life because I, uh, a lot of the things I did, I had to solve problems in the plant. Yeah. And if there's a problem that came up, you just solved it, you know, just took care of it. I mean, it could be devastating at the time, but then you just said, okay, let's get the group together and, and get this nailed down, you know. Yeah. And you're just, used to, you're just used to tackling things, tackling problems, that's all. But I, I guess I, I put my life in God's hands is really what I did. You know, I, I still do to this day. I mean, all these things that happen, like the next thing that happened, you know, was uh, when uh, Donna was working at the Kroger store. And I, and then I got in the car to go home. Here we had a nice new Cadillac, you know. We never had a, a, a luxury car before, but I figured, well, you know, when I worked for Chevrolet, I had Chevrolets. When I worked for Saturn, I had Saturns. Yeah. So I said, you know, we're retired. Let's, let's just, let's get a nice car. We'll get ourselves yeah, what the hell. Yeah. <laughs> so here I had this nice red SRX Cadillac and Got in the car, and we were ready to leave, and I blacked out. My heart rate went back down to 20 beats a minute, and I blacked out, and I hit one of these big concrete uh, light poles. So, and I, I got out of the car. I remember getting out of the car. So wait a second, so wait a second. Pull me back. So you're at Kroger. Go visit your daughter who's working at Kroger. Say yeah. hello. Get out back out to the car. Start going, and something happened. You don't remember blacking out, right? You, you I don't remember. You did it, right? you didn't. No, all I remember is here's a light pole in front of me. Here's my wheel broken in half. <laughs> and I got out of the car and I looked. I had chrome wheels. You know, I got the jazzed up wheels. And here it was uh, broken in half. I hit that sucker pretty hard. So they came and got me in an ambulance and uh, took me to the hospital, put a pacemaker in. But I found it, it turned out that that was the best thing that ever happened because it was a blessing in disguise for a couple reasons. One is, first of all, that I didn't get on the highway. I would have been on 65 coming home, Route 65. 
and blacking out on that highway would have been disastrous for both of us, you know. Yeah. And maybe some other people I'd have, might have gone across the median or something. Right. So anyway, a few months later, they did a scan to see if the wires from the pacemaker were in my heart right. And that's when they found the tumor on my kidney. So it was a blessing in disguise that I smashed a car. I mean, all these things work out. Yeah. It's amazing how this stuff works, see? One of the top three urologists in the country. So he, uh, he took my kidney out. And uh, that was exciting. And he, he did a great job. He, he, he put about seven holes in me. And he tried to get the tumor off first, you know. And he said it was just too damn ingrained in my kidney. He said so. I took the whole kidney out. So, and your dad? My dad had a lot of kidney trouble. Your dad yeah. Pretty much died from kidney Well, disease, right? he was in uh, in the Second World War. He was in the service, and then they had to take him back because he had kidneys and trouble on both sides. And he was actually stitched up like a baseball all the way around. In those days, yeah. they didn't have this this uh, miniature stuff they use. Yeah. So he had a tube in one kidney and a half a kidney on the other side. And you were I yeah, mean, we have we have a lot of kidney trouble in our family. Yeah. My my uh, my cousin lost both kidneys, and he had to have a kidney transplant. Which you know he he w he had to have one of those blood machines for a while, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. and then uh, he had finally got a, a kidney transplant. So our family had a lot of that stuff. So if it wasn't for smashing the car, and and luckily smashed it in the parking lot, not on the highway. Right. And, and I just feel God's watching over me. I don't know why, you know, I don't know why I'm, I deserve all this uh, stuff, you know, all this credit. But so, so the, the, like the doctor, Dr. Harrell said, you know, if we wouldn't have caught that, that could have spread real quick. You know, that, that kind of cancer would spread. So then that was over. Okay, I got the kidney out and that, that took care of that part of it. Then, uh, then uh, Dr. Harrell found that uh, I had cancer in prostate cancer. So. So you went in. You got in a car accident. Yeah. Like in a parking lot, so a pretty safe place. I mean, got some damage to that beautiful car. Let's be real. Yeah, that, like, that was no big deal. No, but yeah, it really, like you said, it's we got it fixed. Like not only there, you had two massive problems that, had you let gone farther, would have would have been your demise. Right, it but could have been. Yeah, yeah. it could have been worse. This intervention, this divine intervention, or this, you know. I can't explain it. I mean, it just, it's happened all through my whole life, and I don't know why. Maybe I'm being saved for something. I don't know what it is yes, yet, sir. but I don't know. Absolutely. So, anyway, Dr. Harrell, uh, being my urologist now, he, uh, he was taking checks on my prostate, and he said, hey, your, your numbers, your PSA numbers are going up, you know, so. We need to do something. He said, if, if you were my father, he said, which made me feel really old, you know. <laughs> he said, if you were my father, I'd have you get, I'd have you get uh, radiation. We said, where, where can I get it? <laughs> How do we do this? Yeah. So fortunately, they have a new unit right behind uh, Williamson Hospital, a big unit for radiation, you know. So he sent me over there, and I didn't have to go all the way into Nashville, 44 trips. So he did that, and we did all 44 treatments, and, and my PSA was down to like 0.4. You know, if it's up to like 5 to 7, that's kind of normal, you know. Mm -hmm. But 
mine was down to point four, and that was fantastic. It's almost zero, you know. Well, yeah. let's talk about. So yes, they honestly. The I mean, everything that you said, though. You know what I mean? From the time that you were like born, and so when you were thirteen, and almost in an iron lung, you know, like with rheumatic fever, to like you know, being almost electrocuted, uh, almost drowning. What are, I mean, like, and not oh, when I say almost, like, really truly saved. Like, there was an intervention yeah. that actually made it so you didn't. Like, the drowning is a good example. I, in Cleveland, there's a place called Mentor Marsh in Cleveland where you have to. Well, my dad would put his hip boots on, and he had this army bag and with his fishing stuff in it, and I'd hold the rods and I'd get on his back, and he'd go walk out to the break wall, big break wall, mm -hmm. to fish. You know, and the break wall is probably. It was probably about two feet wide, concrete wall. Yeah. And I was only about five or six years old then, you know. So luckily my uncle Dave was with us. So we'd go, first of all, we'd go to where uh, the city dumped the leaves and we'd sort through the leaves to get night crawlers to fish with. <laughs> That's, right. That's what we did. Yeah. And then we'd go fishing at Menor Marsh. And then, uh, so my dad was way down the wall and my uncle, thank God, was closer to me and they had these snails crawling up the side of the wall. And, you know, having a fishbowl like I had in the, in, this was when I was in the apartment yet. This isn't, I wasn't on the farm then. So I had to have one of those snails. I had to get one. So I reached over and lost my balance and went down into the water. Now there's a river on one side. If I'd have been on the river side, that would have been really bad because the river was moving pretty good. Well, I went into the swamp side, but it was still way, way above my head. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was probably about five or six feet deep, and I was only a little, little guy, you know. So I remember to this day bouncing up and down off the bottom, you know, to try to come up to the top. And at one point, I figured, well, it's not going to happen, you know. I just kind of phased out, you know. And all of a sudden, old Uncle Dave grabbed me by the back of my shirt and pulled me out. That's why I named my son after my uncle, you know. That's why Dave got his name, so. Yeah. So, so anyway, and then uh, I think another big incident was this, when you built this building. Yeah. And the fact that we live right below you, we have the shared driveway that goes down. So he's talking about we're in, we're in Red Records Recording Studio, which is on our property, and, um, that, and we're, getting, we're lucky enough to be here talking. Yeah. But uh, how did this talk, so as, talk about more about this? So as they were building this, um, there was uh, we had loads of dirt come out because we built this right into a hill. So we had to take all that rock and dirt out. Yeah. So we had these trucks come in and hauling dirt out. I don't know where they hauled the dirt to, but so the one fella uh, was uh, had a load of dirt. His his dump truck, big dump truck. With loaded with dirt, they figured with sixty thousand pounds yeah. with loaded with dirt. And if I remember right, um, it was like the second truck, right? Like, didn't we? Yes. Did we have, it, was it was the second, second truck of. <laughs> yeah, second like, truck. And I can't tell you how many trucks of, of dirt there was because we had we we built this into the um, into the wall. Right? Oh yeah, so and they, they were breaking rock for months. Oh I, yes. So there were some miracles attached to this story, see, because this fellow that was driving, didn't know how to drive that well. The truck started to move on him. So he's he, talking about a 60,000 pound truck, right? Yes, big, big, dump, dump, big truck. dump truck. Yeah. yeah. Which, I mean, you know, when you say doesn't know how to drive that well, 
Yeah. Well, once that they say once that truck starts moving, you can't get it in low gear. See. Yeah. So he came freewheeling down the driveway, and. So the slope of the driveway is. Very steep. Pretty steep, it's, and it's about what a quarter mile long. I yeah. Like and it's that. got a curve on the end, about an eighth of a mile, so maybe I don't know. So we live. I I live up on the hill, and Earl lives like down a quarter mile right below me, in essence. Yeah. So the truck was out of control. It was just plain out of control. And he, he couldn't make, the, there was a big turn there, to, and he didn't make the turn. He was going too fast. He was going like 60, they figured, 60 some miles an hour. Went right through the middle of our house. And we were in Texas when it happened. Now this, there's so many things attached to this story, it's amazing, because the fella, the fella that was riding with him had a brother working up here and his brother pulled him out of the truck and he says, I don't want you riding in, in that truck. He, this, he kind of whispered to him, this guy doesn't know how to drive that well. Yeah. Had he so you're, been... You're saying not, not the driver, you're saying like that there was another kid that was going to go with the driver. Right. And the kid's brother said, hey, uh-uh. Like, yeah, the, yeah he was one of the workers yeah. up here. So yeah. what you're telling me is, a, I, I want to understand, like, I want everybody to know, a 60,000 pound truck full of dirt and rock went down a slope that was what? How would you describe the slope? Seriously, like a, I'd say a good 45 degrees, probably. Pretty significant. At least, mile, yeah. Going 60 miles per hour went through your house. Went through several rooms in the house, and the the truck was sticking out the front of the house, and that was on TV news all over the country. In fact, my cousin in Arizona called and says, "Is that your house?" That, that's, <laughs> I so, was on radio tour, and yeah. And they're like, yeah, we know. We, we were in Indianapolis or somewhere. Yeah, I remember. I'm thinking, how does everybody know this? Let's keep that on the down low. But, well, yeah. the, the miracles about it yeah. was that the miracle was that this fellow was out of the truck. Had he been in the truck, when that truck hit the house, the gutter went right through the passenger window and would have sheared his head right off. That's how bad that how would have been. out of the truck? Did he jump? Who? The, the driver. Oh, the driver was helped by our neighbors. The neighbors... They heard, they heard it hit. All, all the neighbors in the oh, neighborhood heard it hit. Absolutely. So they ran out. Um, uh, uh, Randy next door shut the power. He knew where the power box was. He shut the power off because the power was sparking and the gas, was, gas lines were broke. You're talking about at your house, right? Yeah, here's this guy in the truck. The, in the house, yeah, the gas lines were leaking gas fumes and the, the wires were sparking because the wires were all broke, you know, out of the house. So uh, Randy uh, came over and shut the power off, and the, uh, the brothers across the street came over and shut the gas off. They knew where to shut the gas yeah. off. Yeah. So this guy wanted to get out of there real bad, you know. So the driver, you're they, yeah, the driver. And but he was full of blood, right? Yeah, he had blood all over. Well, he, he did one of those deals from going through the window. He didn't want to go through the windshield, so he, in his, the next day, his, his, all his fingers and arms were bandaged up. We saw him at the hospital the next day. Yeah. But, so. He was a miracle, too. He should have died by all means. That man should have. That was, it was awesome. That, he was a big guy. I yeah. mean, this guy was almost 300 pounds, you know. And we got him out. They, they not there me. There are times when that's helpful. Yeah, they got him out the side window. I couldn't believe they got him out the side window. That's urgency 
And I'm sure he wanted to get out real bad. Oh. You know, he didn't want to cook in his truck. So, <laughs> so that's, that's one miracle. The fact that this young fellow was pulled out of the truck and didn't go down with the truck, that was one. The other one was the fact that my, my sister and my mom were down in Texas and that we were down there visiting them. And we never went down there in June. This was June 6th. First time in your whole life. Yeah. We went down all the time, but not... Never. Yeah, usually in the spring or the fall because they have a big art and craft show down there. We always like to go down <laughs> yeah. for that, too. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is just one of those times. I, want, I wanted to finish remodeling the kitchen, mm-hmm. put new countertops, granite countertops in. I had to take the wallpaper out and everything. The truck did a good job of remodeling what I had <laughs> done, you know. So uh. we weren't home. If had we been home, it was a quarter to five, would have been eating supper at the counter. We always time. ate supper on the counter, the kitchen counter. Yep. At the and same he, time. All we'd do is look back, we'd have looked back and saw it and that would have been it. Yep. I mean, we'd have been taken through like three walls. Went exactly where you, every single night at the same time. Yeah. All, we always there. ate about quarter to five, yeah. about the same time you came through there. So, of course, my daughter called and says, uh, the truck ran into your house. I said, you mean the corner of the house? I thought maybe the corner of the garage or something. Yeah. She said, no, right through the middle. Actually right through the middle. We had a du- it was a double brick house, big double brick house. Mm-hmm. It was a nice house. We liked our house. So, so like a million dollars later, <laughs> you have this extraordinary house down there. So thanks to Hannah and this building, <laughs> we now have a real nice house, a modern house. One level, all, you could see everything from one, one spot in the, yeah, in the kitchen. But- Yeah, that yeah. something good has come from every single one of those near-life, near-death experiences, you, you actually grew as a human being. Oh, yeah. You, you, you knew to appreciate. You knew to focus on what, what can we do now? The big we- part for me is a lot of faith. I have a lot of faith in, in the Lord, you know, that he's going to take care of me. Apparently, he hasn't let me down yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? With all the things that have happened, and I could go into all kinds of things on the near-death experiences and stuff, but but there's so many things that have happened that, that I could have got wiped out on. I mean, it's just a miracle that I'm still here talking to you, you know. But it, it's, it was, uh, it's a good life. It's been a good life, and 